The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour. Stocks across Asia join a global sell-off after the Dow drops another 280 points. As President Trump says, a trade deal with China may have to wait until after the U.S. election. And the Queen rolling out the red carpet for world leaders to mark the 70th anniversary of NATO as disputes among allies rage ahead of the meetings today. Uh, we can work it out. President Trump and Monsieur Macron suggest they will find a way to avoid punitive measures on the EU amid fears Washington will impose tariffs on French goods in retaliation for a digital tax. We can make a deal. We can take a harsh approach. We can solve that problem instantaneously if we wanted to. But I don't want to do that. These are friends of ours. These are people that we've had very extraordinary relationships with. And I do personally, and I'm sure we can work something out. Executive shakeup. Google co-founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin stepped down from parent firm Alphabet, handing the reins to Google CEO Sundar Pichai. So, very warm welcome, everybody. As you can see from some of the red ink over my shoulder here, it was a difficult 24 hours for markets. Global trade fears intensifying after President Trump revealed he may delay striking a trade deal with China until after the 2020 presidential election. I have no deadline, no. In some ways, I think it's better to wait till after the election. You want to know the truth? I think in some ways it's better to wait till after the election with China. But I'm not going to say that. I just think that. I just tell you. Uh, in some ways, I like the idea of waiting till after the election for the China deal. But they want to make a deal now, and we'll see whether or not the deal's going to be right. It's got to be right. Kaboom! And that was the impact on the markets. Not only that, but there was this open rowing uh, within the NATO group. His comments came amid increased tensions among NATO leaders ahead of this key meeting in London this morning. And as uh, we look at the market wall here, you can clearly see the impact overnight of the comments from President Trump. I would suggest it wasn't the issue of NATO that really roiled these markets, but the fact that the president, in spite of months and months of US officials saying, uh, we're close to a deal, we're close to a deal, President Trump saying we may actually now wait until after the US election, which would put this on the back burner for the next 12 months. The Companies that took the greatest impact, as you would imagine, are those that are perceived to have skin in the game as far as trade with China is concerned. So it's Apple, it's Caterpillar, it's Boeing, those businesses that would be hoping that they would be exporting significant amounts of their own product to China. How about Asia? Well, they couldn't escape the pain, could they? If you call this the wall of misery, then the Asian markets also being dragged lower 
by this move we saw overnight in the United States. Here we've got the South Korean Kospi, the Hong Kong market down 1%, and the Shanghai and the Shenzhen uh, markets also in negative territory. In terms of the opening calls then, how does that translate in terms of what we might expect from the European start of session? Well, these are quite interesting, aren't they? They look a little squiggly when we've covered a wall of red from the United States and from Asia overnight. Why should we see European markets kick off on a positive tone this morning. My friends, why should we see European markets kick off on a positive tone this morning? Recovery trade, maybe keep the ball in the air. Should we talk about what's taking place first up today before we come back to well, markets? I, I just on this. I think this is intriguing because you know a lot more about the way that the brokers set their future expectations for market trade. Why would they be pricing in a rebound for the European markets well, this mean, morning, Mr. I, Sedgwick. I think, I think you've over-egged it, my friend. And, and I'm never one to uh, under-egg anything. And I would probably have done the same as you. But, but, but the president's right. I think he was asked about the stock market move yesterday. He said it's, it's peanuts. I think he used the word peanuts compared to where we've come from. And, and I'm going to say this. The president is right. How many times? And you were right. Cudlow, Lighthizer, Mnuchin, the president himself. Everyone else associated with the administration, the economic and the trade side of it. You're right. They've pumped this market every single time by saying, do you know what? Actually, we're really close. We're 90%. We're 85%. We're 95%. We're really close. The Chinese are close to signing. We've just got a couple of things to sort out as well. Every single time they've been asked. And the market has responded like a... like a lovely little lap dog every single time. So what I want to know is how much the market's moved, A, since the trade war begun. Well, I know the answer. It's gone through the roof. And B, how much it's gone up every time they've said we're really close. And I'd imagine that, too, is through the roof as a percentage of the former figure I just mentioned. So actually, dare I say it, President Trump is right. Market moving, and by the way, the market rallied significantly of its low, which is something you didn't mention on the, in the session there. It was down over 400 points a day, it closed 200-something down. The fact of the matter is, the market's going, we had a stunning run. Have we had one person who's mimicked what the indexes have done come through our desk and say, actually, we have, we've, we've made 20-odd percent this year. We've made 30-odd percent. We've, we've made double digit. Even the rubbish ones have made double digit this year as well because the market's gone in one direction. So actually, if people are taking a bit of money off the table because we've had Thanksgiving, because we've got incredibly buying stuff going on in the retail sector because we don't know what's going on on the trade front. We don't know if the payrolls, for instance, on Friday is going to be good, bad or ugly as well and what the Federal Reserve's going to do. Why wouldn't you take a bit of money off We've the table? We've still got a date in the Why diary, don't you? we? 15th of December. Mm. So the markets are counting down to uh, the possible implementation of new tariffs or possibly it could be avoided. And already you've seen some of the commentary overnight where this is saying, well, if the tariffs go up and they attack the likes of Apple, then you might have a problem for markets because we're dealing with a further constraint to growth. But there could be ways to avoid this. There could be an invitation from Beijing to officials in Washington that could take place over the course of the next week. If that happens, that would keep the ball in the air again. Also, there could be a direct intervention by both presidents where you see one of them pick up the phone and schedule a meeting and the, the APEC meeting that might be put back on the table for January has also been touted. That's what I mean. Enough enough for the market to keep this ball in the air at this point. So does that answer the question for you? No. (laughs) No, because we still haven't explained exactly why we're talking about 68 points on the Zetradax after uh, negative sessions on the, on the overnight. Yesterday, the reason why the FTSE came off so aggressive was twofold. One, obviously, about the trade, and the two, actually, the pound went through 130 for the first time in ages. So, yeah. again, the inverse relationship on the dollar earners. So there are other things going on out there as well, Absolutely. which maybe might be affecting the market. <laughs>
Uh, let's talk about all the world leaders in town today. Queen Elizabeth, the Queen welcome Elizabeth II, NATO. Her Majesty Queen Who wrote that? Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Can't just call her Queen Liz. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II welcomed <laughs> NATO leaders to Buckingham Palace for a reception, marking 70 years since the alliance's creation. The function came ahead of a series of bilateral meetings between heads of state ahead of today's summit. What were you two doing last night? A bit of Stranger Things or some other box set? A bit of Dostoyevsky and a glass of Clara? We were getting a little bit of a nap after our yeah. early shift yeah. on Sportbox, Steve. <laughs> How about you? Oh, well, I was actually on the streets of London last night with a whole bunch of Party disparate time. protesters. Exactly. <laughs> having a few drinks. Exactly. Do you know what I did this time yesterday morning? Friends, Do you know what it? I was doing this Go time on. yesterday morning? I was just going like this. Oh, shall I get up or not? <laughs> anyway, this lot. I was out with this lot last night in London. <laughs> Central London. President Trump's arrival acted as a lightning rod for a host of protests. Uh, activists gathered to demonstrate against the US leader, NATO, UK Prime Minister. There was stuff about the uh, uh, the Kurds, Turkish President Recep Erdogan. There was lots going on there as well. Protesters also hitting out at concerns the NHS uh, could be part of a post Brexit trade deal with the US. A couple of interesting things last night I noticed. One, I met the police commissioner, the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police. I've just bumped into her and she was incredibly pleasant. Cressida Dick. Cressida Dick, yeah. Yep. The second thing is, I'm going to say this, the protests were limp. There weren't that many. And I'm going to get abuse from somebody on Twitter or somebody was saying, oh, well, we were out in our thousands. You weren't. You weren't. I've been there when you've been here in your thousands. The two, year, two summers ago, hundreds of thousands on the streets protesting against Trump. Last night, I reckon there was a couple of thousand maximum. And what was interesting is I was told there were going to be tens of thousands of NHS workers, which, let's face it, it's a, a cause dear to all of our hearts. Whether we protest or not, we love the NHS. Well, some of us love the NHS and what it stands for as well. And again, what's going I know there is a difference of opinions around this desk as well. But, but my point was there were lots of disparate causes and there were amazing speeches. And I was listening to all of it, but there weren't many people. The there weren't many the people. There. I mean, wasn't that one of the big messages yesterday mm. from mm. President Trump, even if it was served up in a silver platter the mm. trade deal uh, it's it's not on the table so well, he was really trying it was fascinating yesterday seeing trump trying not to steer into any right. election issues. he was trying and so Boris hard Johnson, to be well behaved was, was, wasn't he down it? at salisbury yesterday at a christmas market mm. you know, all these world leaders in town he spends a whole day at salisbury as far away from the action as he can well manage. as far away from president trump actually and that's absolutely you're making the absolutely key point so th this is something let's go back one stage and, and hadley will cover this but nato 70th anniversary was organized in 27 by Prime Minister May and Prime Minister May was thinking we'd have Brexit done and dusted it would showcase Britain as leading on a security force regardless of whether we're in the EU or not well two years on nobody envisaged we'd be in the bitter end of a general election as well Brexit still alive and kicking and a huge political football as well the last thing that Boris Johnson wants is for President Trump to say anything that would sway this election in favour or against one party or t'other because of course American influence and we've had it with Barack Obama as well let's be completely apolitical when Barack Obama got involved uh, in Brexit and trade negotiations saying Britain be the back of the, uh, the, 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 the queue it went down like a lead balloon didn't it? Um, I just hope that we don't lose the thread on the NATO story I mean for markets the implications of discord within NATO are not immediately obvious and I don't think they will necessarily affect the direction of prices. But there is a connection clearly that we talk about the 70 years and we talk about the successes of this alliance in maintaining some kind of international order. Mm. It is significant that this is part of the muscular liberalism 
that I think needs expressing at this point if we are to reject some of the autocratic trends that are creeping into international markets as a result of the kowtowing that's taking place to China at times by some countries and towards obviously Russia and some other countries. NATO is a complete mess in many, many ways. I'm not sure it is a complete mess. Well, I disagree. Okay, so you've got the Germans who are steadfastly refusing to spend anywhere near 2%. So Merkel's involved in this. You've got Erdogan. They haven't increased their spending though. The spending's gone up at about 11 odd percent, so it's getting a little bit What year? Sorry, so what year in the last 70 have the Germans spent 2% of their GDP? They're about 1.4, aren't they? 1.4%, which has gone up as. Oh, great. So they're only 30% below. Amazing how the Germans can do things when they want to, like getting their finances in order, but they can't spend on their NATO commitment getting anywhere near. And who was the woman in charge of that? It wasn't Angela Merkel, it was Ursula von der Leyen. So let's go there on this one as well. Anyway, so it's in a mess with the Germans being uh, in the uh, target lines as well. You've got the Turks. Yeah, the Turks part of NATO buying S-400 defence missile systems and trying to buy F-35s at the same time. So they're giving a window into NATO of Russian defence hardware and of course presumably Russian trainers who have to come in to teach the Turks how to use these S-400s as well. You've got Macron who let's face it, you talk about muscular liberalism Jeff, well he's got his own form of muscular liberalism that is trying to set up a European defence force which is going to be a direct competitor to NATO if and when it happens as well. You've got the Brits who are just going oh crikey, we don't want any of it. And you've got President Trump And this is absolutely fascinating looking at the pivot from President Trump because he's gone from, as we saw last year, arch critic, and he still is an arch critic of it, um, to saying, look what I've done. And do you know what? Again, I I sound like the defender of Trump there. He's got a point. There were three nations in Europe, I think it was, who were getting to that 2% level uh, when he made his criticisms to Stoltenberg last year. Now we're up to about nine, including the US, who are getting to the 2% level. And he says, and he's taking all the credit for it, and we can diverge there whether he should get the credit or not, $130 billion of extra annual spending, which will go up to $400 billion of extra spending uh, from, I think it was next year as well. Something or someone's galvanised them. It's all tactics though, isn't it? I mean, you look what the president does. He picks out a key issue. He throws uh, some very strong words at it. But he's right. And it causes an reaction. Yes, but but I don't want to stay on on Trump. I want to move on to to Macron. No, but hang on a second. Why should the Europeans be sponsored by American hardware 70 years after the end of the war? I'm not. I'm not talking about your point that you've already eloquently raised and gone through. Talking about a different point, which is the fact that you had a French president trying to steal the narrative, trying to do a Trump on Trump as he arrives in Europe, effectively turning the narrative around by attacking an organisation where you have seen let's face it, some accord on this side of the pond at least. So he's tried to do a Trump tactic on the US president and we're seeing a game-changing moment where you've got more airtime now stolen by the Europeans, a pushback that's taking place rather than everything just being about Trump throwing explosive language around. Uh, I'll just make two quick points. After 70 years, an organisation that was set up with a particular agenda and goal inevitably is going to go through some growing pains. Absolutely. And we're now looking at a a slew of potential new members coming into NATO from the East. And inevitably, I think, when you come to one of those moments where an organisation has to review its raison d'etre, you are going to get some growing pains and some tensions. And obviously, the Turkish situation doesn't help that where Erdogan is playing this double game where he's trying to remain friendly with Russia whilst at the same time keeping on board with the other NATO members. So I think there are some pains here inevitably and we're seeing that play out in the media at the moment. But I I hold the faith 
that we can come through this and we can redefine what NATO's um, strategic responsibilities are going to be going forward. And we can also get buy-in on the budget, which I think will happen at this point. As for Macron, I think this is a more interesting issue because we are again in the moment of an existential crisis for the EU and Brussels with the Brits on the verge of leaving with lots of countries being slapped for the way that they are running their economies and their budgets and they're not adhering to the rules here we now have an SPD that is threatening to break up the German government and who's standing up and speaking for Europe at this point not the representative of Europe's largest economy, arguably the most powerful country in Europe, it is President Macron. Well, now, why does he feel obliged to do that? Is this just his personality bursting through um, because he feels it's necessary to, to be that person that stands up to Trump? We remember all the big handshakes. Or does he feel that he can actually continue to steer the German strategic Is anti-Americanism on security a good idea, given everything you've just said about the previous 70 years? I would leave that question out there. It's, I would say no. Okay. Well, of course it's anti-Americanism. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't think I, I, it is. I mean, what, of course what, it is. What he said was correct. I mean, the way he said it was clumsy. But it comes back to my first point about redefining the strategic agenda for NATO going forward. And all Macron said was, at the moment, we appear to be a little bit brain dead in the control centre when it comes to defining what NATO's new strategic goals Can are. Can I leave you with a quote? It's from a diplomat, and he made this amazing point. He said, why was NATO created? He said it was to keep the Americans in, to keep the Germans down, and to keep the Russians out. And I thought, when you think, when you look at the context of 1949, I thought that was an amazing quote. Yeah, but it didn't predict the emergence of the Chinese as potentially the largest economy in the world. Anyway, um, well, we've still got a bit of time left on the programme, fortunately. Let's roll on. Uh, President Trump and UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson discussed NATO spending and Syria in an off-camera one-to-one meeting in London. In a statement, Downing Street said the two leaders agreed on increased defence spending and the need for NATO to remain unified. Meanwhile, Johnson backed a plan for Britain to impose a digital sales tax on large tech companies. This despite threats from the US to impose up to 100% tariffs on $2.4 billion worth of French goods for a similar measure. Johnson said big tech companies need to make a fairer contribution. Uh, President Trump and uh, French counterpart Emmanuel Macron struck a more conciliatory tone when sitting side by side ahead of the NATO meeting. They agreed on the need to reform NATO and suggested they could come to an agreement on trade. Uh, Macron made clear that the digital tax was not aimed at US companies. It just happens to be that they're the ones who are going to pay all the tax. Anyway, uh, whilst President Trump called the relationship with the EU unfair, but added that something could be worked out. Charlotte joins us around the set now to talk more about this tax. And you're going right through it in detail. Yesterday, the $2.4 billion all of the much sought French items are potentially on the list. Do you think there's any way that you could see Macron and Trump talk this issue through and avoid tariffs? Well, that was the thing, because this conciliatory tone that came when they were face to face came after this really punchy and pretty aggressive uh, morning conference of Donald Trump, when he basically said that France is taking advantage of American companies. We're going to tax all your wine and everything else. 
And then the tone changed slightly when they were face to face. Um, so now the question, of course, is on this digitax is whether the US will carry on being part of this OECD initiative. You remember after the SPAT started on the digitax, uh, they came to an agreement at the G7 in Biarritz that the OECD would put together a framework to have a global consultation and bring up a solution for but 2020. What's happening now? Is it? it didn't look as though there was much accord on an OECD principle, even though we'd talk, spoken about a lot through 2019. If that starts to fall by the wayside, where does it leave the French and the digital tax? That's a question. But also bear in mind that a lot of other European countries are thinking of putting one in place. Boris Johnson, we've just heard, is thinking of putting tax. one and we'll get, carry on. Other Italy, Spain, Austria is putting a 5% tax. You know, 3% in France is 5% for Austria. The Czech Republic is talking about 7%. So, of course, Bruno Le Maire yesterday was saying, you know what, we need a, an EU response. And the commission, the new commission in place, a spokesperson yesterday said, we will study it and we will be, there will be a European solidarity and we will come to a solution. So, again, it's a potential escalation of the trade war because it's not just a Macron, Trump, US, France thing, even though Mr. Trump seems to like a bit of French bashing, but there's a much wider issue here in the European. And by the way, I agree with Karen. It's not happening <laughs> about the OECD thing. I mean, I am a massive fan of uh, Angel Guria. I think he does an amazing job over the OECD. But come on, guys, at the OECD, you've got all that beautiful campus. In fact, I'm going to one of your campuses in the next 24 hours. Over in Paris, you've got all this amazing, you've got a huge organisation. Sort it out. The French have gone solo, quite rightly, as Karen says, because the OECD has failed ignominiously so far to get this going. So, dare I say it, the ball's in Angel Gurria's court. It's kind of strange. It feels like it's the right thing to go to, to go after when you've got a, such a big change in corporation tax and who's earning the money. Oh, that's said, want to tax but the that's tech said, companies. They you, just don't want anyone else to it, tax them. That's the point. It, it doesn't feel as though the numbers then stack up. A lot of the industry think tanks are questioning just whether the numbers would actually ever materialise if you went after these companies on digital taxes. So, I think that's been one of the sticking points, whether it's going to actually be effective. Um, I have some sympathy with the OECD. I mean, I think ultimately it is a large think tank. It's a think tank. Uh, It throws up ideas and then governments can look at them and see whether they're in their national self-interest. The problem with this... Okay, fine. The problem with the self-interest aspect to this story is that if America has the largest tech companies, why should America agree to any other country taxing on digital revenue at this point? Because the perception is that this is targeted at a specific country's businesses. And by the same token, look at the response from France to the tariffs that have been imposed on France as a consequence. If you target the luxury goods sector, inevitably France is one of the countries that's going to suffer, not anybody else. But this OECD tax, because it's on digital services tax, could then imply that uh, some French companies pay some taxes in the US. For example, LVMH that sells some luxury goods in the US, then the US would get some money from that. So that's where, I guess, the calculation is from the US administration of what we get. Can I just tell you why you're wrong? No, no, no. Let me just just come back to this. Because there is a dual tax treaty between countries, right? So you have an arrangement particularly where you have luxury goods companies involved here, they are not domiciling themselves in offshore centres where they're using transfer pricing methods to reduce their total tax spend. Now, the issue for these technology companies is because they are largely uh, not required to be geographically focused, they can afford to go to the lowest tax centre and reduce their total tax spend. That's a different story from the luxury goods companies. That's also on the agenda for the OECD. You're wrong. What point did you want to make? 
well, it's nice to get a chance. But the point I was trying to make is two things. One, the two big initiatives from the OECD are BEPS, which is basic erosion of profit sharing, which is their big play as well. The second is this on digital tax as well. They've been leading all the work. And, and you're wrong to say they're just a think tank. That is absolutely categorically wrong. Because look under the hood of the G7, look under the hood of the G20. There's nothing there. There is no organisation. This is the organisation that creates a lot of the A, as you quite rightly say, a lot of the papers on this after consultation. But B is the one that in acts a lot of the diplomacy to get it done and C is present when you get these leaders together on every single occasion. You look at all these key meetings, the Guri and the OECD are always there. They're more than just a think tank. They are the glue that act, or the cogs and the wheels that actually put this in action. So if we talk about strategy, the, the two parts in the OECD proposal was one to go after a digital services tax or to come up with a minimum corporate tax for many organisations. Well, well, we can't even get one through at this point. You can't get any accord on one. So two, yeah, maybe that would be ideal. But this is the issue, isn't it? At this point, we still have France pushing for some change as an individual country. That's right. Well, someone needs to be pushing. At least you could say whether this French tax carry on, because say if an OECD agreement comes on the table, it comes good, then France will take mm -hmm. away their law. But, you know, Brussels said the average corporate tax in Europe is 25%. These tech companies pay about 9%. There is a discrepancy here that needs to be addressed for the sake of, you know, we keep talking about inequalities and, and how to make this, the economies work, etc. Well, they need some of these companies to pay taxes. It's all about taxes. We've got um, a clip to we play. Got a yeah. we've, got a, we've got a bite here, I think. We can play that, can't we? We do, because after this, this face-off between uh, Macron and Trump, of course, they talked about NATO and we'll have a bit more of this show-off today, of course, at the actual leaders' meeting. And last night, um, President Macron tweeted um, saying that he stood about his comments on NATO and that he would defend European and European and French interests. Take a listen to what he said during the presser yesterday. That's the way it would work. So it's either going to work out or we'll work out some mutually beneficial tax. And the tax will be substantial. And I'm not sure it's going to come to that, but it might. And that was President Trump yesterday uh, sitting next to President Macron talking about the digital tax. So a lot of to talk here that we'll meet again today at the leaders meeting, uh, the NATO leaders meeting. So that should be an interesting second meeting between these two. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.